So when I see connections in life, I like to name them because I think that it like solidifies it in our brains. And so I just kind of want to go over where we've been. Um, a couple weeks ago, two weeks ago, I preached on um, the death and life of Jesus, that we need to be co-crucified with Christ. And the way that we do that is not by fixing ourselves and not by covering up, but by presenting the broken parts of us to Jesus. And then last week, Tyler talked about lament and how lament gives us victory over despair. And I just kind of want to point out, lament is a really great way to present yourself to Jesus. And like, we didn't, he and I didn't talk about that, but clearly that's like a connection that when we bring all of ourselves, lament is really just bringing all of yourself to the Lord, the good and the bad. Whenever we see things that aren't right or we're not happy with, bringing that to God. And in doing that, by doing that, we're in essence saying, God, I know you're the one who can fix it. <laughs> it's an act of trust in him and an act of faith. And so we talked about being co-crucified with Jesus and bringing our whole selves to him. Then Tyler talked about lament. And I really feel like God is kind of asking me to sort of walk in that same vein this week as I was preparing. Um, I really sense that what I'm about to say kind of is a tie into that or more of a sort of explanation of how to do that more. So I want to begin by asking you to use your imaginations a little bit. It's like, I love imaginative prayer. I just think it's a really cool thing that God gave us, an imagination that we can um, think creatively with him. And so I'm going to tell you a story. I want you to imagine it happening. So imagine that you have a friend who moved here from the country of Georgia. Now you know that Georgia is a country. Maybe you don't know. Georgia is a state, but it's also a country. Um, and it connects Europe and Asia. It's like right in between there. So you have a friend who moved here from Georgia. We're going to call him Sam, just to be easy. So Sam moves here from Georgia, and he moves to Altoona. So you're kind of showing him around, showing him all the things, all the places you like to go. So you take him to the clay cup for coffee, and you take him to gourmet buffet for lunch, and if it were my friend, I would take him to the Salvation Army thrift store because that's my favorite. It's whole outfit from there. Um, so you do all the things. You show him all the Altoona things. And he's kind of getting settled in, but it's very different here than in Georgia. And so there are some things that kind of aren't quite jiving that he doesn't understand. But one of the ways that he decides that he wants to make himself feel more at home is that whenever he buys a house, he decides he wants to get chickens because in Georgia, he raised chickens with his family. So he gets chickens. Sam has these chickens. And so you're going to visit Sam one day. You still with me, using our imaginations? You're going to visit Sam one day, and you find one of his chickens in the middle of the road. So you pick it up, and you put it in your car. I'm not sure if I would really do that touch a chicken. But anyway, you do in this imaginative story. Pick up the chicken, take it to Sam, and you give it to him and you're like, hey, I found your chicken in the middle of the road. And he like loses it. He's like beside himself. And you're trying to figure out like, your chicken's alive. It's here. It's fine. Here's your chicken. 
But in Georgia, he tells you, there's a law that if your chickens cross the road, it's against the law. And it's a super big thing. All growing up, his family would tell him, like, you have to watch the chickens. Don't let the chickens get out. Because really, it's not fair to other people. A car could hit the chicken. It could cause an accident. And so he is just beside himself that his chicken got out and was crossing the road. And you say, we're in America, and it's fine. No big deal. But after a while, Sam is just, like, riddled with shame and guilt because he did this thing that he had learned was so bad, that he'd grown up knowing was really bad. And so in Georgia, the, the penalty for letting your chicken get out is a year of house arrest. So Sam says, I don't think I can like go on unless I take the due penalty for this sin that I've committed. So Sam decides that he's gonna spend a year and house arrest because his chicken got out. And you're trying to tell him, dude, you don't have to do that. And as you can imagine, this really affects his life. There's only certain jobs he can have. He can only be friends with certain people who are willing to come to his house to visit him. He can't go to parties or the grocery store. And so I think I don't think we've been in house arrest, but I think we understand that a little bit more, being confined to your house after the past few months. And we know that it really restricts everything that we do. It affects everything. And so I tell you this kind of silly story because I think that many of us do this kind of thing to ourselves, that we kind of heap shame and guilt on ourselves no matter how many people tell us there's freedom in Jesus, it's okay. You don't have to live with this shame, but we decide that we're going to do what we've known to do and we're going to take the penalty on ourselves. And I don't think that this is, we don't have the market cornered on this. It's not just something we do. Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 8. And so that's where we're going to be today. Romans chapter 8. If you have your Bible or your phone, you can get in there. We're going to read verses 1 through 16. And I kind of want to just put this into context, like what's happening, because it's really important that you read the Bible in context, that you don't just pick out verses and decide this applies to your life in some way. That's really not healthy and dangerous. Thank you. No. Um, Yeah, context. So... I'm going to tell you a little bit about what's happening before I read chapter 8. So in chapter 7, Paul, you've probably heard it before. Paul's talking about um, the good that I want to do, I can't do. Instead, I do the bad that I don't want to do. We've talked about this before. And even a couple weeks ago, I was talking about how we are co-crucified with Jesus So we die to ourselves, and we also join in his resurrected life, but not fully until he comes back to make everything new again. And so we do have freedom, but we're not made fully like Jesus until he comes back. And that's kind of what chapter 7 is about. It's about, I'm really trying to do this good that I want to do, but I have a hard time doing it. So in light of that, that's where chapter 8 comes in. 
so you have a little bit of context about what's going on. So it says there, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and to deal with sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So we're going to stop there. We're going to pause. And I just kind of want to give you the definition of condemnation. The first line says, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And the definition of condemnation is the action of sentencing someone to punishment. Kind of like the story we talked about earlier. So basically what Paul's doing in this little section that I've talked about is setting up two different realities here. So there's the law of the spirit on one side, and the law of sin and death on the other. And so in the Old Testament, we were given, the people of God were given um, laws that started with the Ten Commandments. Moses went up Mount Sinai, talked to God, got the tablets with the Ten Commandments. He actually did that twice. That's a whole another story. But that's what happens. That's where it started. And then the law was kind of... Um, expanded further. And so the law ended up being very specific, very lengthy, and people, the way to be right with God was to obey the law to the letter. And so the people of God in the Old Testament would study the law, and they would try to practice the law, but God knew that we couldn't keep the law in full. So what he did is he set up the sacrificial system, which means that because we can't keep the law. The penalty for sin is death. It always has been. And so, because we can't keep the law, I would go and sacrifice an animal. The animal would die. So my sin would be transferred to the animal, and the animal would die instead of me. So that's what the system in the Old Testament, that we would try to obey the law, knowing that we couldn't fully obey the law, and so we would have to sacrifice animals in order to be right with God. And in a previous chapter, Paul in Romans, Paul talks about how just by having the law, sin is awakened in us, because that's our nature. Even if I say right now, don't think about a red car, at least half of you are thinking about a red car, because that's just who we are. When someone says, don't do that, we want to do it. And God knows that about us. He made us. And so the law is not bad, but what happens in us is sin because of the law. Does that make sense? So that's on one side, the law of sin and death, kind of the old system. But on the other side, we have the law of the spirit. And the law of the spirit is this. Jesus came to earth, and in scripture it says, in the likeness of flesh meaning that he was human. He suffered temptation, and all of the things that are hard for us were hard for him. But he did it without sinning. He obeyed the law fully. And so because of this, 
God was able to transfer all of the sin of all of his people onto Jesus. And Jesus then was the sacrifice, just like in the old system, Jesus was a sacrifice for our sin. But it was one sacrifice for all. So rather than having to kill animals in order to be right, in order to pay the penalty of sin, Jesus paid for all of our sin. And God condemned sin in Jesus. You with me? So we have two sides. That, that's the, the law of the spirit. Because, because of that, it's paid for. It's done. We don't have to keep bringing up these sacrifices. And because Jesus died for us, his spirit lives now in us so that we can live by his spirit. So this is the law of the spirit. So we have on one side the law of the spirit, the law of sin and death. Paul's kind of juxtaposing those two things. And so the law of the spirit means that obedience to God is no longer obligation so that we can be right with him. Obedience to God is now invitation because we're already right with him. Are you with me? So that's kind of the transfer that we've experienced. In verse 5 it says, starting in verse 5, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For this reason, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh. You are in the spirit since the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, though the, the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies and also through his spirit that dwells in you. And so here again we have Paul setting up these two sides, living by the flesh and living by the spirit. And when Paul talks about walking by the flesh, it's really um, just synonymous with living by the law of sin and death. Like it's still the two sides that he's setting up. Um, and what he means here by flesh is our unredeemed broken state. So when we live by the flesh, we're focusing on that, on our own strength and really on our own failings. And if we focus our mind on those things, on living by the flesh, we end up dead. That's the road. That's where it leads. Just like when we set our minds on the law and try to, that's how we get close to God, we fail. And we can't do it. And it leads to death. And I think as Christians, we spend a lot of time focusing on those things, the unredeemed, broken parts of us. I don't think that's even just a Christian problem. I think that's a problem that we all have, is that we focus on the places where we didn't measure up. We're constantly aware of it. And even if we're not, people remind us. 
We're thinking about the times when we let our families down and our friends down, times when we couldn't be who we wanted to be, the times when we slept in instead of doing devos in the morning, the times when we had too much to drink or did things with people um, of the opposite sex that we shouldn't have done. We focus on that and we let it kind of stun our growth. Now, I'm not saying that sin is not a big deal. Don't mishear me. Sin separates us from God. But when we focus our minds on those things, when we focus our minds on our own strength or lack thereof to meet the promise, we end up in death. We can't just white-knuckle our way through life. That's no way to live. And I think we live with this condemnation, this punishment that we inflict on ourselves, just like our friend Sam in the beginning of the story with the chicken. Like we decide we're going to undergo this punishment even if no one's making me do it. I'm just going to hold on to this stuff. But Paul says those who live by the Spirit will have life and peace. Instead of focusing on where we've missed the mark, we focus on what God has done and what he's calling us to. We're going to pick up with verse 12. It says, So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, meaning that we don't owe anything to the flesh because that is paid. Our sin is paid for. Debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. In fact, if we suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him. So any sin that we've committed or ever will commit, even sins we haven't thought of yet, are, it's paid for, it's done, finished. Finished on the cross with Jesus. And all the guilt and shame that we feel because of those sins, also paid for. Finished, done. And so when we go back to the trash heap and find those sins and look at them, and beat ourselves over the head with them. In essence, we're saying, Jesus, what you did, it wasn't enough. That the bloody, humiliating, terrible death that you died in payment for my sin wasn't enough. I have to go get it and beat myself with it. I have to feel that. I have to pay something else because what you did wasn't enough, Jesus. Sounds a little bit proud, right? I don't think we ever think of it in that light. That's what we're doing when we decide we're going to live under condemnation. In that, we're choosing to live by the flesh. Paul says there's no condemnation for you. That doesn't mean that it's going to be rainbows and unicorns. It doesn't, I promise. We don't obey God to earn anything. There's nothing to be earned. We've already gotten it. Grace is a gift that we get to unwrap. 
that we don't deserve, that we didn't earn, but that Jesus gave us anyway. And so if the grace that you understand doesn't feel like there's something about it that feels a little bit scandalous, like this can't, it's too good to be true. And if your life with Jesus doesn't feel a little bit like that, I think there's more of grace for you to understand. You should be overwhelmed with the fact that Jesus chose you. Not because you deserve it. We don't deserve it. We can't deserve it. So I'm not, like I said, I'm not saying that it's not painful. I'm just saying that the pain doesn't come from condemnation. It's painful to be co-crucified with Jesus because there's things in us that we think keep us really safe and keep us really comfortable that really just hurt us. Paul says that we're heirs with Christ. So all the goodness of God is our inheritance. In fact, according to Paul, if we suffer with him being co-crucified like we talked about, then we receive all of that glory. And really it's just presenting yourself to God. It's kind of coming back full circle. It's not beating ourselves up with what we find. It's refusing to cover that stuff up, giving it to God, and letting him do with it what he will. That's the life lived by the Spirit. And that's the only way to peace. It really is the only way to peace. And so I think, like Sam, at the beginning of the story, some of us are under house arrest, self-inflicted. I think we limit what we can do or what God can do with us because of who we've been. So much of who we've been is a product of lots of things that have happened to us. And so if we can take a hold of what Jesus has done for us and start from there, it becomes much easier to just reveal those things to the Lord and let him do with it what he wants. So I imagine God kind of coming to our friend Sam and coming to you at this moment and saying, this is not how we do it here. You don't have to live under that old law anymore. You don't have to fix yourself because all the fixing here is done by me, by God, and it's done by focusing on me, not on yourself.